The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hey, this is Matt Landry, the voice of Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars The Clone Wars. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars. This is where the fun begins. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 139. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Angela Cialana, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. Today we are diving into episode 12, the finale of the Andor series, season one. Joining me today are Jason Yuji. Hi, Jason. How's everybody doing? Great, great. And also we've got Robert King with us. Hello. How you doing? Very well. Um, This will be an exciting discussion, I think. Um, And let's jump right into it. So we've got our finale, episode 12 of Andor, a fittingly called Rick's Road. And the official summary is Cassian returns home to Ferrix, a tinderbox that is experiencing a spark of rebellion. So guys, uh, I know there's a lot to... A lot of ways to possibly answer this question, but what were your overall first impressions after watching this finale? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I, uh, I'll i go first. I, I thought it was uh, very much like the whole series. It was kind of a slow burn at the beginning, but it, you know, it really panned out at the end. It, uh, you know, when we get to the, the battle and uh, all that, the escape and everything, it really made a lot of sense, but it was a slow start for the first probably 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe at least. To me, it didn't really feel like a season finale. It felt like the end of another one of these, you know, couple episode arcs, but it didn't seem to like it pulled together everything from the season, but it didn't feel like it tied them together if that makes sense. Um, okay. And, and I think, I think you're right, Jason, that's kind of the, the feel that the whole series has had for me. Um, so I, I am, I am so ambivalent about this, this show and about this episode in particular, because there's so much to love about it, but there's also so many things that just don't sit right with me. So, um, I, I kind of have this love hate relationship with, with Andor going on. <laughs> Well, for me, I would say um, just I for my husband and I, we watched together and after this episode, a little different from some of the other episodes, but I, I think we were both just kind of like processing everything that just happened because as it ended, we were just sitting there in silence, just like staring at the screen like, wow, um, okay, so what does this all mean and where is it going and and what happened to these characters, you know, just kind of, again, processing everything that happened. Um, so I guess we can do more of that together on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so let's, let's go ahead and get started with that. So, um, the, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, um, was this character that has been in the background for so long. And finally, in this episode, we actually start with him. And that is Wilman Pack, the son of Salman Pack, who was the operator of the salvage yard. Um, and he was hanged by the, by the empire. And we start and he's assembling something. And I was very confident that this was a bomb. I don't know if you guys were too. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, and so he's, he's assembling this bomb. You can tell in his face, he's looking at his dad's hollow. Um, he's, he's got this vengeful countenance or just like a really upset, frustrated, angry countenance as he's doing this. Um, and I thought it was, it was for me a way to start with the theme of family and how this rebellion is really kind of interestingly enough has a whole lot of family ties. And I don't know why I didn't quite see that theme pop out at me um, throughout the series. But with this particular episode really hammered home for me that family was very integral to this story. Um, So I'm curious kind of if you guys also picked up on that and um, what your reflection was just about Wilman or how we kind of started this episode just to kind of kick it off. I think as far as family goes, the whole, you see all the families come together in the, in the final episode, you have, uh, Mon Mothma and her family and really what appears to be the start of a new family in in their relationships. And you see, uh, with the, those that get off the planet, uh, Ferrix, maybe that's their new family. And, you know, the family of Ferrix as a whole and all of that. So it all sort of comes together at the end. Yeah. I don't think family was the first thing that jumped out at me, but as soon as you mentioned it, I mean, certainly family is a huge thing for Andor himself. And he's, he's clearly searching to um, find a place where he and his family can, can kind of call home. And this is kind of the story of him expanding his family and including others in his family. And, um, and then, as you said, you know, other people are, are all looking for, you know, how they can either connect to their family or, or build up a kind of found family. And, um, and some of them find it and some of them don't. Yeah. And it's just really interesting thinking about how, I mean, integral that is to Star Wars just in general um, and the stories that we've been familiar with for all these years uh, that family and found family as well, especially with, you know, the Skywalkers um, and then, of course, the way that the Skywalker story kind of ended with episode nine as well and found family being one of those themes. Um, But, you know, I thought that was really interesting. I'll definitely continue to kind of tie that in as we're talking. but. Um, I know, Jason, you you also had a a theme that you kind of wanted to bring up. Maybe you could just introduce that now um, so that we can kind of reflect on that as as we go forward here. 
Well, one thing I noticed a lot was, especially in the throughout the whole series, and it all sort of came to a head in the finale, was the theme of what goes around comes around. Some people might call it karma or fate, uh, those sort of things. Um, so many people, so many characters in this show had that happen to them. It start uh, one of the ones that started right away was Tim Carno Carlo that it was Bix's boyfriend. You know, he, he sold Cassian out at the beginning when Cassian was being looked for. And I think he saw Cassian as a threat, uh, you know, in his relationship with Bix being, I guess they were exes at some point. And so he sells Cassian out. Well, the people he called in ended up killing him. And so there's several examples of that. Um, Zan Wan is the one that uh, uh, basically told Cassian about his mom passing, and right. he, he didn't. He didn't. He yeah, yeah, he didn't keep that quiet at all, and he just kept telling people out in the open. And then uh, Nurchi, the at the very be- in the very first episode, he's all he cares about is money. He's wanting to get the money that Cassian owes him out of him. So at the end, he finds an opportunity to get that. And he, uh, sells Cassian out to the, to the empire. Well, how does he end up dying? Wilman's bomb ends up killing him. Right. Well, and it happens to Cassian a couple times where he ends up, uh, getting arrested for not doing anything when he should have been arrested for murder you know, the Aldani heist, all those things. He ends up getting arrested for nothing. Well, then he goes into prison and he ends up making, you know, as it was said before, the cogs in the machine. And we see later what those are and they end up killing him five years later. So over and over and over, we see that theme of what goes around comes around. And there's even a couple that are I guess you would consider positive from certain, you know, the Ben Kenobi from a certain point of view. Uh, the You have Cyril Karn, who's so persistent in what he wants to get done. He's trying to get all these things done. He ends up meeting Dedra, and it seems like he, you know, falls in love with her, and he ends up saving her. So, uh, hope you would think, we we kind of are rooting for that relationship at this point. I think, I, I don't know. I am maybe <laughs> that he, you know, he I mean, saved her and, and, uh, in, in what way <laughs> I, I don't think I'm rooting for a romance there, but I, I, I am like really interested. It's, it's a relationship that has so much tension and friction in it. I, I, I really want to see it kind of see where it goes. Yeah. But you know, all of those stories, you know, what goes around comes around. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know um, if I would, I I think I would kind of push back on that to say that I think some of the examples that you gave were more so sort of like the morality tale of what happens when you align your, yourself with injustice like that I think ultimately a lot of these things are if you put your faith in the empire the empire's not gonna put any faith in you um 
necessarily, you know, if they don't need you. Um, so it's sort of like, um, you know, also the Nurchi, I think you mentioned, um, him just wanting money. I think ultimately it's like, well, money is not going to save you, you know? Um, but I think the people that, the people that kind of succeed the most in the story, um, are not necessarily the most just people, um, you know, at the same time. So, um, it's a mixed bag, uh, but, um, I don't know Well, maybe we'll tease that out as, as we go forward here. Um, Robert, did you, yeah, go ahead. I mean, to I think I might come a little bit, uh, in the middle between you two, because I do think one of the major themes of this show is that actions have consequences and some of those consequences are foreseeable and a lot of them are not. And, and there's sort of the, um, the unintended consequences, the, the fallout, uh, as it were from Andor's initial, you know, he's he's walking away from the brothel in episode one and the the security guys are following him and he doesn't mean to kill the guy. He just means to get out of a bad situation, but he kills someone and then he kills someone else and then he has to be on the run. And that puts him in a situation where he's vulnerable to Luthen and and the whole thing kind of spins out of control from what seems like just like a little street altercation. Right. So I, I do think that's a, a significant um, part of, of what the show is about um, at the same time. Yeah. I'm not sure I would call it like karma or fate or, you know, in star Wars parlance, the will of the force um, in Christian parlance, we might call it justice. Um I, I think the show is raising a lot of questions uh, more than it is like presenting a, you know, here is, here is karma or here is fate or, or something like that. I don't know. I didn't think about the will of the force. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, let's see where that goes. Um, so before we really like dive into all the really meaty stuff, um, let's look at another one of our side characters. Uh, Vel. And, you know, I feel like I've been learning more about her with every time that we see her just a little bit more, just a little taste. We see her briefly with Cinda and we also see her with Luthen in this episode. And, you know, based on her background that we've learned over the course of the series, I'm really getting the sense that she may have wanted a change from her original rich family sort of societal life and joined this nascent rebellion. Um, maybe looking for a new family of sorts, but I think she's realizing that she can't have everything that she wants because of the nature of this work that she's doing for Luthen. Um, you know, we see that she's very kind of like frustrated that she cares very much for Cinda Cinda's very, you know, one track mind. Let's get the mission done. Um, you know, with with Aldani and the way that Aldani happened, it seems like Vel is sort of like 
she she's really upset that it didn't go the way that she was hoping for. She just seems really like angry and frustrated. And I don't know, do you guys get that same sort of feeling or what what are you feeling with, with this Val character? Yeah, she doesn't seem like she's enjoying her situation at all. She's seems standoffish to almost everybody and only wants to she's very self-centered when it comes to her relationship, very self-centered when it comes to uh even with her relationship with Mon Mothma and her 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 niece or are they cousins? can't remember um but yeah that it's what am i going to get out of it and rather than how can i help i think she's just starting to realize this about herself like i my my sense is that she has thought of herself as the you know the gritty realist who who you know is willing to do what you know mon mothma isn't willing to do but she's kind of waking up to the fact that no, at heart, she's kind of a romantic and and she's not getting the romance that she wants. <laughs> she's not getting the the happy ending, the the adventure story kind of um, that she thought she was signing up for. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right about that. You know, we're kind of seeing little glimpses of her, uh, Angela, as, as we go along. So she she's a fascinating character. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it. I'm really curious what's going to happen with her character in season two. Like, I almost wonder if she does seem to be um, committed to the cause of the rebellion. But at the same time, I just wonder if it's going to become too much for her at a certain point. You know, it's just sort of seems like she's getting to her boiling point. <laughs> what, what What do you think she'll do when she breaks? I really don't know. Um, because the thing is that she has so much inside information that it's almost like she can't leave the inner circle, right? She's sort of stuck where she is. So either she comes to terms with that or she dies, you know, or <laughs> I mean, something, something's got to give in other words. Yeah. Um, so uh, with Cinda, we did mention her briefly, you know, going back to that theme of family. I, I was thinking about how we had learned that stormtroopers killed her whole family. And so, you know, for her, that seems to be like such a deep motivator for her character. And she's a character we, we really haven't seen a lot of and we haven't heard a lot from. But when we do see her we know that she is just entirely in on this, um, on this mission. And um, I'm really curious to see where she's, she's going to go next season as well. If she, maybe she will get up there in the ranks of the rebellion or she's going to go on this really dangerous mission um, going forward. We'll see. If Bell tries to get out, Sinta's probably the one who will be assigned the task of, uh, of uh tying up the loose end as it were oof <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> yeah that's wow it's, that's really creepy to think about but yeah that's true if i were a writer that's how i'd do it I think. 
You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, okay, well, um, speaking of that whole family, let's go to Mon Mothma then. Um, so she's, I mean, we, we really don't, we do get that scene of her, you know, introducing her daughter with with um, her husband, introducing their daughter to um, Davos Golden's son. And but we also see this really interesting scene of her sort of intentionally upsetting her husband and making him look like he has this really active gambling problem. I mean, it seems like the cause of the rebellion is actually tearing her family apart. So I'm really curious what you guys were thinking as we were seeing this unfold. Well, she threw him under the bus. You know, she, you know, she was like, she, she knew that that driver was listening. She knew he was a spy and she purposely said all of those things to, to hide the fact that her money is missing because they know they've been watching it. She threw him under the bus on purpose to throw the empire off the scent. And as far as you see the scene with the ISB later, it worked. Yeah, and they're they're focusing on him as a way to get to her, which is which is exactly what he's accusing her of, or or he's he's thinking is an explanation behind why she's heard this probably false rumor that uh you know that she probably just made up on the spot um about his gambling. Um it's it's weird because I have had zero sympathy for him as a character <laughs> throughout the the show to this point, and then suddenly it's like, oh man, this he, for once he's in the right. Um, yeah. it, it was kind of a weird emotional experience watching that, and well, yeah, you yeah. you ask if the rebellion is ruining the family. I I don't know if the rebellion is ruining it because the family was already not in a great place to begin with, but it's definitely pushing it past the breaking point, I think. Well, if you notice in previous episodes, whenever Leda would look at her mom, she was giving her the stink eye every time, you know? And so you knew that there wasn't a good relationship there. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's really been interesting because before this series, of course, um, we all thought of Mon Mothma as this really upstanding, you know, virtuous character. And just slowly but surely, you know, we've gotten to this point now where we're questioning that, too. And last week on the podcast, we were talking about how, you know, when you get into a war, there really is no, like... <laughs> pure goodness that actually exists within war because that's just the nature of the the beast. And so now we're sort of see well, if Mon Mothma really was so involved in this rebellion, in this star war, <laughs> mm-hmm. that she's got to have, you know, been active in some of this shady, you know, behavior. And it's, it, it's sad, but it's also sort of, again, with the whole, you know, gleaning lessons from all of this. I mean, you can definitely learn from just how all of this sort of works, you know? 
Well, it's, I mean, kind of circling back, it's facing the consequences of her actions and, and trying to manage what consequences she's willing to face and when. So she's putting, she's putting the good of the rebellion, the good of, of maintaining her position in the Senate, the good of, of maintaining her position of, of influence, um, ahead of, you know, the consequences of, well, the consequences for her daughter, um, of, of marrying the, the son of this gangster, uh, the consequences of facing an imperial investigation into her finances, which could send her to jail at the least, um, and maybe uncover other people in the rebellion. Yeah, she she's she's prioritizing what consequences she's willing to face and when and yeah, it's it's a muddy messy situation. She keeps digging herself deeper in the hole, I think. Yeah. Um and it's it's going to be really fascinating once we get into season 2 and we see I think, you know, we feel the wheels kind of turning ever quicker, you know, as the urgency of the situation comes closer and closer. And I think once we get to season two, we're really going to feel that. Um, and I can imagine the family dynamic is not going to be any better <laughs> in season two. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well. If you have, unless you have any other thoughts, let's, let's focus on Ferrix. Any other observations on Mon Mothma? Yes, just that it was really interesting to me how, how disconnected Mon Mothma's story seemed. It, it was the only thread of the storyline. It was definitely set up earlier in the series, but it felt like it really had nothing to do with Cassie Nandor. Um, everything else was, was somehow, um, tied to him and, and her problems kind of really seemed to be her own. Um, and I thought, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure what to make of that. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. My understanding is that she is in a lot of this financial trouble because they didn't make it out of Aldani with all of the credits that they had hoped to. Um, that was sort of my understanding of like maybe a couple of lines of dialogue a while back. Um, do you think I, I didn't get the impression that any of the Aldani money got to Mon Mothma? I, I thought Luthen was looking at her as a, as a source of funding, not as somebody to, to be getting money to. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's why her uh, she's in the trouble she's in because she moved money to the rebellion, and now she can't explain it, and the government's yeah. starting to ask right. questions. Right. I, I mean, I suppose that money could could have been like the the fund that funded the Aldani operation in the first place. Maybe I don't know. It's it's all very yeah. vague and shadowy. Yeah, yeah it's it's money laundering. <laughs> <laughs> if, so. if the money did go to it, Luthen <laughs> didn't tell her that because she yeah. she was very surprised that that happened, and he was like, "Who me?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he right. he does not want 
credit for Aldani at all. At, like, and and surprisingly so. I mean, this this is maybe a complete rabbit trail, but um, like the way Luthen manipulates absolutely everybody that he yeah. has contact with is is just you know there's a man who who does not want family in a way <laughs> yeah he it's wants, impossible yeah well and he says in this big speech that he he gave up the opportunity right. for everything you know so now right. what does everything mean you know is that family or is that you know was he a Jedi? Was he a Sith? You know, he, he would have had to give all that up. I don't know. So maybe, maybe the question is, does the rebellion ruin everybody's family or, or maybe mm. does war ruin everybody's family? Um, Look at Leia and Luke. They both lost their adopted families. Yeah. You know, right off the bat from 1977, you know, <laughs> Yeah, and I'm just, I keep thinking of um, Star Wars Rebels and how I think they're sort of like the the family, quote unquote, that everyone points to in at least those Star Wars fans that, you know, know the show. Um, and, but they're, they're all found family and, and their own situations and, and lives were destroyed because of the war, just as you're saying. So, yeah, great point. Um, okay. So now speaking of all that, when Cassian returns to Ferrix, the first thing that he does is he goes straight to his adopted dad's brick in the wall. And, um, and we get this lovely flashback of him listening to Clem teaching him this lesson about being resourceful. Um, did you guys happen to catch the connection between what Clem says and what Marva will say in her hollow message at the end of the show? Yeah, they're both talking about rust and being invaluable. And, you know, all you got to do is clean it up a little bit and makes it worthwhile. That sense of we've, we've got each other. We've got something good here. And it's, it's, it's worth, yeah, keeping, hanging on to, holding together. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, to me, it, it reminded me that, you know, there are certain lessons that your parental figures teach you um, going through life that are sort of um, established as like inherent to your family's identity. Like my maiden name is Santana and my dad used to say growing up, you know, Santana's are so-and-so or such-and-such and, such, and we, we do this, but we don't do this. And and so, you know, I've, I've heard that that's very common to sort of use that formula in like Spanish speaking households. But, you know, bottom line is that family passes on these lessons to us that sort of build our, our sense of our own identity. And I thought this was really cool to sort of see Cassian's, you know, youth, this, this lesson from his youth kind of finally come back up for him this memory because you know you you have those memories that just sort of pop up at these times right when when you're starting to learn certain things and puzzle pieces are starting to come together for you and it seems like for Cassian maybe this is one of those moments um so I don't know if you guys 
have anything else to to add to that. Well, it was a perfect example of how to use a flashback. You know, they they flashed flashback to something that Clem was teaching him and it applied to the moment that they were in right then. So uh, from a video movie making standpoint, it made sense. Yeah, it's it's kind of an insight into because one of my frustrations with the show is is how to understand what Cassie and Andor is thinking actually going through his head, man, you really have to do a lot of work to read between the lines. And I think this is one of the times where they, you know, this, this memory, this flashback is, is, is finally kind of showing us what's going on in, in his mind. And he's, kind of wondering if he's worth saving, if he's worth cleaning off the rust, if there's anything under the rust to, to clean up. Um, and, uh, and that like that combined with the, the final scene of, of the show, which we'll get to later, but, but it, that kind of really put all of his actions in, in the earlier episodes into a new light for me Hmm. yeah um so i guess when we get there we'll we'll talk about that um but i i just yeah i really thought it was a lovely little moment um you know just a tender reminder of of his his dad so um okay so we get um the next thing that he does is he meets up with brasso who's like a big brother, I think really figure, um, for him in a way. And, um, and Brasso gives him Marva's final words. Um, and this was really moving. And, um, I know that one of the things that, uh, Don Bettinelli, our CEO of, of SQPN, one of the things he mentioned that he loved was that, um, he felt like a lot of what Marva said is what God would, would tell each one of us. Um, so I'm curious what you guys pulled from Marva's last words. I would, I would say the same thing that, you know, Jesus loves us more than anything we could do wrong. That's the perfect way to put that. I mean, that is mercy at its, you know, at its utmost. And that's what Jesus wants for us. We just have to accept it. Yeah, I loved the the final line there. You know, I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong, and and that's just so beautiful and perfect and motherly and mother, you know, mothering in in the best sense. You know, truly being a mother to him. Um, what again? This this kind of love hate thing. It followed on this very political kind of message. You know. Um, it was already burning. He's just the first spark of the fire, which, which feels like it's, she's talking about the rebellion there. And, and it feels kind of disconnected to the, you know, the rest of what their relationship has been through the show. Um, their relationship hasn't been, you know, centered around the rebellion or, or the cause or anything. And then suddenly it's like, why is this, political speech kind of filtering into this final message. Um, 
So, so it's like, oh, this is the best final message, and, and also kind of the worst <laughs> at the same time in my mind. I it, it just well, I, was confusing I think they did to me. put a little bit of that earlier in the show with um, when Clem is killed, because it's they still got uh, clone troopers marching through Ferrix, and yeah, you know, he tries to stop. You know, there, some other people are trying to start an insurrection. Clem's like, no, everything's fine. Calm down. Well, he's the one that gets arrested and hung. And now she she said how many times she had to go go through there and see him hanging. Well, it stopped her from ever going there. And so she, that's been festering in her that the clone troopers killed her, killed him. And now they've got the stormtroopers replacing them. She's she's just over it, you know. And now they come when they came back in and took over Ferrix again. She that was I think that was the final straw. Yeah, you know, um, I would say kind of watching some of my loved ones that have, you know, finished their journey on Earth. A lot of times I think what happens is when they know that they're getting to that point, they sort of have this um, message that they want you to know or they want you to remember. And there's something that just becomes very, it's like a seed that was planted in them a long time ago, sort of comes up to the surface in a way. And that's sort of how I interpreted um, what was happening with, with Marva as well, kind of on the lines that that you're saying, Jason, um, that, um, you know, part of the, at the very beginning of, of Marva's last words, she says, tell him none of this is his fault. It was already burning. And so it's almost like maybe she realizes that potentially what Cassian was doing in true mother fashion, you know, sort of knowing what your kids are doing without them actually telling you that what something, what he was doing had something to do with what was going on in the galaxy um, with the Empire and that that may have been the reason that he was gone when she left, you know, the Earth and or barracks <laughs> and and, you know, sort of like, well, it's not your fault. It was already burning like this was already coming. And you and she she to me, it's like barracks has all of these beautiful sort of industrial metaphors, right? Like you've got the anvil um, with the, you know, calling everyone to, to, to this, to street. And we've got this um, speaking of rust and speaking of, you know, brick and the spark of the fire. It's like all very industrial. And, and so it all sort of comes into, I think, almost like what is their cultural folklore in a sense um that these people when they speak about things that really matter they speak about it in these terms like stone and fire and metal and you know and so for for her to say you know he's just the first spark of the fire it's like it's it's almost like more than just the fire that she sort of is talking about with the rebellion. It's almost like something deeper, something more like a loving message. Do you kind of get, get, get what I'm saying or trying to say? 
Yeah, no, that's 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 a really good point, and and I can kind of see that. Um, I, I guess so. So part of this is I'm coming to this show from uh, the idea of like when when Rogue One came out, right? They announced that they were going to do something with Andor almost immediately. And I was always kind of wondering why him, why Cassian Andor, and I've kind of been waiting for this show to answer that question. You know, why is he such a critical character? And, and it just feels like they're just kind of like shoehorning in. But remember, he's the one who stole the Death Star plans. He's the one who who's this great hero of the Rebellion. But he's not yet, and I, I don't feel like the show is really supporting that. It feels like they're shoehorning it in rather than actually building it organically to the character. But but all that said, I'm I'm perfectly willing to admit this could be because I'm coming at it from this like I've got a I've got a question and you're not answering the question that I'm asking. <laughs> and sure. maybe I'm missing the the answer that you're giving to a question that you know, to a different question. So, so like, I don't know. I want to, I want to like present here's, here's my experience of the show, which is not entirely positive, but um, at the same time, I want to respect like all of my friends absolutely love this show and, and love every part of it. And, and yeah, would, um, yeah, like 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 go go to that kind of interpretation that that would would maybe um be more of a uh I don't know uh <laughs> maybe more of a hermeneutic of continuity than the kind of hermeneutic of disruption that I might be looking for. <laughs> well, and I, I wonder based off what you're saying there I It'd be interesting to hear from somebody that's never watched Star Wars ever mm-hmm. and sat down yeah. and watched episode one, two, three, the Clone Wars and watched all of that chronologically and see all this play out. If they would have the same opinion, you know, it's we know how this ends. We know where it ends up. So we're all sitting here going, why <laughs> is he the key? <laughs> why? You know, we had a we had a big discussion about that on Discord, I think, where uh, why is he the, and, and I, I'm the one that put that on there. Why is Andor the center of everything? And so everybody had their kind of opinion that I think, I think Angela had said that it was, um, he's like the representative victim, you know, yeah. that he's, he's sort of getting dumped on from every, every situation. Whereas most people just get a little bit here and a little bit there. He's getting all of it, but yeah, that's kind of where I was at was why is he the center of it? But we're looking at it from knowing the whole saga. So I, it'd be interesting to see what somebody knew, but you know, most of us nerds aren't, aren't going to be that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, um, thank you for, I mean, this, this is a place for honest discussion. So I totally, it's, it's totally welcome. Thank you for making a safe place for me. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be able to nerd out and just, you know, speak your mind, man. So um, speaking of speaking your mind, let's talk about Nemec's manifesto, shall we? Um, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> that was really cool. I I loved how they created the sequence with, you know, you'd hear a certain section and you'd see someone who sort of like illustrates what's going on or what's being narrated and it just how um uh the the main thing that sort of came up for me was this idea of freedom is natural, oppression is unnatural. Um what did you guys really pull from that as like the nuggets or the jewels? Well, one thing that really struck out to me was the Empire, you know, in at the end of episode three, the movie, you know, Palpatine says, we're going to make everything safe. There's be no more war. Everything's going to be fine because we're going to we're all going to be united into one happy empire. <laughs> everything will be great. And then somebody Somebody on Discord made me think about this when they said that, you know, the these captains and stuff, the, the leadership of the military haven't been tested in 15 years. So you've got a whole new generation that haven't had to do anything like this. I mean, they're all just completely shocked and they don't know where to go. But then I wonder, why does the Empire, if if the Empire thinks they're doing what's right... You know, of course, we all know they're, you know, controlled by the dark side. Right. But most people don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And they think they're doing what's right. Why is there so much military? Why is there so much tyranny and fear if what they're doing is good? That's where I got it. Where where do all these weapons come from? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who are they fighting? Right. Well, well, they're fighting their own people. They're they're. Yeah, um, they were planning for a rebellion. They were expecting the rebellions. Mm, they were afraid of it. I think yeah. is kind of how Nemec would put it. Right. There. There. If if what you're doing is good, you shouldn't be worried about any of that. Robert, what did you think of this this manifesto? Oh, I'm just kind of processing the processing everything. Yeah. 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 No. Um, <laughs> because yeah, they are. Uh, you know, this is this is a military that's very inward focused. They're not fighting anybody outside themselves. Right. Um, you know, the the whole legends canon aside, um, and I I think that's a really strong and interesting insight that that comes out of out of Nemec's manifesto. Um, I, I I think it's interesting that you know he says tyranny requires constant effort um but freedom requires constant effort too um True. And, True. and 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 that was that was something that i i um wanted to to kind of draw you know it, life requires constant effort i guess <laughs> and it's like you know how are you going to how are you going to spend that effort but um you know, I'm 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 not gonna get the exact wording, but I'm remembering you know all the all the patriotic Fourth of July kinds of of uh, you know stories and media and shows that I, I watched in school and as a kid and and how it was you know um, you know you need to constantly protect freedom, you need to constantly protect liberty and democracy, and constantly be working toward that and and you know we, we kind of see that even today with with the kinds of arguments we're having in the real world and 
And so, yeah, tyranny requires the effort. Freedom requires that. I think, I think it's conviction requires effort, you know, conviction. If, if you are really convinced about something like at, at mass this morning, um, the homily that I heard was about how here we are at the beginning of a, a new liturgical year and we're hearing the call of Christ again. And this is a call that will radically change our lives. And, um, that it requires us to see the whole world in a new way and to make a commitment that will kind of consume all of our lives. And it's going to require daily effort to continue to follow Christ in that way. And, um, and I think that's one of the things that I really love about this show is it shows people who are absolutely committed to what they believe, you know, whether it's Nemec or Luthen or Mira or Cyril. Um, and, and in this episode, absolutely Marva. Right. Um, and, and so maybe what we're seeing is like the conversion of Cassie Nandor. It's, it's like, how does he come to the conviction that he ultimately will have? That's a good point. I hadn't seen it that way. Yeah, I definitely saw this episode in particular that way, but I think just the whole series, because that was really one of the questions that faced the writers of the show was, how does Cassian get from where he started off, you know, as a kid, um, to who was probably afraid and didn't know how to respond to his particular situation, to now, um, and or are now being, you know, post Rogue One, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so this, yeah, this conversion of Cassian Andor is definitely how I would put it. Um, to your point about, you know, freedom, it requires and conviction requires effort. I guess the Catholic sort of way to um, sum that up is that to live free we have to put forth effort because we live in a world where temptation against freedom is a real thing, right? Like, um, and that's, that's definitely something that, you know, is not going to be found in Nemec's manifesto um, because it was sort of like, you know, he said um, that freedom is natural. And I do, I would I would say freedom is like supernatural from a Catholic perspective. Like freedom is something that we we gain through unity with God and living, you know, with God's grace and God's God's life, which is grace. And so um, in that sense, freedom is not natural. Like it doesn't just happen like you, like you're saying you have to make the choice right to to be united with god in that way so but fallen world yeah, yeah yes in our fallen world right so yeah. so that sort of like i was like oh when he said natural i was like oh not so not so much but i kind of i get the point which the point is that he's trying to say that these people are trying to oppress you and it's constantly they're having to work at it so don't feel like you're the only one that's working and they're just out there with their fist on you. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take anything for them to do that. No, it's, 
it's because they're afraid of you is basically what he's trying to say. So back to the prison. There 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 are not enough of them and they know it and that makes them afraid. Yeah. 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 There's one thing I I picked up on in his uh, speech too was he was talking about how there's there's little rebellions all over the galaxy. There's little little skirmishes, little battles happening all over the galaxy. But in this, you know, what we see in this show and throughout the other canon stuff, we see the Aldani heist, um, sort of the first the first big thing, but it was it was a surprise attack. The, the, the empire wasn't expecting that at all. Well, here at the, on Ferrix, they set a trap The the, where they were trying to set a trap, right? They, they knew that this battle was coming in some form. Uh, that's why they had all the, the guys in riot gear and, you know, every, all the stormtroopers stationed everywhere. They knew this was going to happen. So one thing I noticed was, after the captain flipped over B2 Emo and uh, Brasso was the first one to kick somebody, then it's just started sort of martial arts, you know, fist fights and stuff. But the first real weapon somebody gets hit with something was Marva's brick. You yeah. know, Brasso uses his brick as the first real weapon in that battle. So I thought that that was pretty impactful that she's the first weapon. Yeah, I mean, that's probably how she wanted to go out, right? <laughs> she wanted to go out fighting and her body sort of limited her. But um, yeah, yeah I, that was really fascinating how, and I guess let's go ahead and jump into it, the funeral procession, um, how, you know, we were just talking about this industrial sort of culture that this was the way that they remembered their dead and that they sort of felt like they could live on and help the community was to sort of literally be built into the city, right? Into the life of the city. And um, I think they called it a funerary stone. Um, and I just thought it was interesting reading um, this article on starwars.com with Tony Gilroy talking about how they worked on the show. And one of the things that he said was that, the funeral procession was one of the first things that they actually did some work on, um, that he worked with the composer, um, named Nicholas Bertel and that they worked on creating this piece of music, uh, which by the way, all the musicians were actual musicians playing on screen. Um, and he wanted this procession, this ancient ritual to feel like, the people of Ferrix. He wanted this to be rooted in a culture, a society. And that was how they started working on this show was through this piece of music. So I thought that was really sort of true to real life. Um, that, you know, our culture sort of informs um, so much about how we relate to everything. And I almost wish that I could watch this episode and then go back and watch. I mean, I can go back and watch the whole <laughs> rest of the series because I feel like I might be able to understand Cassian a little bit better and just all the people on Ferrix a little bit better after watching all this. Um, so, yeah, I just I'd love to get your take on the funeral procession, 
Marva's speech, just any of it, just go for it. <laughs> because I know we're going to talk for a while. I mean, that music was so beautiful. Um, and, and just like the, the simplicity of it, but, and the re- repetitiveness of it just like sunk into your heart and, 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 you know, grabbed on and would not let go. I thought it was marvelously done. And, um, I mean, we talked about the, like the editing, the, the montaging during, um, uh, Nemec's, uh, sort of reading of his manifesto and um, the montaging as you know the the preparations for the march are beginning and the march is going on and the reactions to the march. I mean, it's just as a piece of editing and filmmaking and storytelling. It, it's one of the most moving things I've seen in a long time. It's it's marvelous. Well, and I think it was foreshadowed throughout the whole series. You guys talked on the on the podcast last week about how the the opening credit score is different every week, and it's what what I saw was they're pulling in new instruments every time. And if you watch that mm. funeral procession now, it starts with just a few people and a few instruments. Like it starts with one drum, right, and then you get a couple horns, and then as they start walking. You get people from coming out of this building and that building and off of this street and off that street until you just got this whole symphony and this whole street full of people. They they foreshadowed that in the opening credit score for 12 episodes. And it's that that is the music that you that we've been hearing. We just didn't know it. We didn't know what it was from. So I, I think that they've been foreshadowing that funeral the whole time. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I thought Marva, you know, sort of being the mother of all these people, you know, she was called the daughter of Ferrix and sort of being a mother to all these people seemed very fitting because especially as we saw Cassian, he was just, he was doing what he needed to do to get Bix out of there, you know, out of the hotel. And he, it was almost like, okay, mom's doing her thing. I'm going to do my thing. Right. Like that's that's kind of the sense that I got was, you know, he was hearing what was going on and he knew something. Maybe he knew the whole plan, but he he was also like, okay, I've got to I've got to get Bix because she's family to me. You know, she's been there for me for through all of this and I cannot let her down. I can't just leave her with these people because he knew what they're capable of. And um. And so it was almost like this whole family experience there, like the whole community just gathering around this woman and hearing her sort of give her last words to them that they've been sleeping, right? I think that was (laughs) very, I I was listening to the Advent, you know, (laughs) the new readings and everything. And I was like, Waco sleeper, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, (laughs) Advent. Um, Marva, she was right on target, but um, that's kind of what I thought of too. I, I loved also the the when the instruments got started up. Um, everybody that we were focusing on turned around and said, "What's that? What's happening? What's going on?" Even though we, I mean, this was um, Velen Luthen and then um, Mira and the other Imperial officers. Um, 
both of them, both of those groups had been like preparing for this for a long time and it still caught them completely off guard. Um, they didn't understand what was happening. And um, I don't know. It's the, I, I think that this is part of, part of what Nemec is saying. I think maybe when he, he says that freedom is natural, I think he's also saying that like rebellion is a force of nature. It's not something we can control. It's not something that, that we can completely understand. It kind of happens. It, it, it grows up um, in a, in a way that we can only like discover and wonder at. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that because, you know, <laughs> Warfare is ruining families throughout this story. Um, but <laughs> I, rebellion I against oppression. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, it's well, and, and I don't know. It's interesting that like throughout this story, you've got um, you've got the Imperials who are painted as more evil than I think we've ever seen them in any other Star Wars uh, property and and, but we've also got the the rebellion that's kind of painted as more morally gray than we've ever seen it, and then you've got the people of Ferrix who are just people, right? Mm-hmm. They're just living their lives, trying to be human, uh, or or I don't know, sentient beings, I guess, in <laughs> the Star Wars universe. But but they're just trying to be people and. And they're kind of caught between these, um, the pincers of this, of this star war. And, um, this funeral was, yeah, just the people together, um, was really beautiful. And I don't think that those people in particular, most of them just didn't want the empire there. They weren't necessarily looking out for an entire galaxy. They were just looking out for Ferrix. Right. You know. Well, yeah, I mean we see how hard Mon Mothma and Luthen have to work to get people to sort of join their cause. Right. And yeah. It it's sort of like um what Marva says in in her speech is that, you know, well that's what we've been doing. You know, we we let them come in, we opened our trade routes, you know, we 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 took their money we just ignored them. You know, it's sort of like, like you're saying, we're just trying to live. We're just trying to get by. But I think by her saying we were sleeping, she was really saying, you know, we had our eyes closed to what this was really about. Um, that it wasn't about um, just, just let them come in, let them do whatever they need to do. You know, they'll, they'll just be on the side, you know, it, it was about, um, I guess what you could say, living in freedom in a way, um, because this, if you want to talk about unnatural, you could talk about the empire in a lot of ways. Um, but they really just, they came in and it was almost like this disease or something, right. That just kind of latches on and spreads and it doesn't want to let go, you know, just on its own. Um, you have to fight it. And and so the reality of, oh, yeah, she says that. <laughs> I'm looking at yeah. her words like she says yeah. the empire is a disease. Yes. Yeah. There's yeah. A so wound that won't heal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah. Ah, so yeah, well, it was, and, and it, was it is. Great. I mean, the the whole natural unnatural language. You know, this harkens back to the to the prequel trilogy of you know the you know the dark side. You know, is a path to powers that some would call unnatural, <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, and I think that I mean, yeah, the 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 language of nature and natural is, is really powerful language. And, and I think, I, I don't know. I, this is again, something that this show does incredibly well is it shows the complexity of like, you've got political idealism and you've got real lived experience and they don't meet neatly. Right. Um, and, you know, you've got the 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 sort of um, careerist idealism of 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 a you know Deborah Mira, and and you've got the the kind of I don't know philosophical idealism of Nemec, and you've got the the very practical um, idealism, I guess, of of Luthen, and and none of them seem quite completely natural. Um, but that, yeah, Marva's speech, you know, this is a disease and um, it's easy for the dead to tell you to fight. And maybe it's true. Maybe fighting is useless. Perhaps it's too late. But this has become something where we have no other choice. It's, you know, we we fight or we die. And and. um that's that's like the whole thrust of her speech and and it's that is maybe kind of the natural um root of of what is good in the rebellion maybe i don't know i'm kind of yeah 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 i'm processing this as i talk here it it makes me think that maybe she's saying to everybody that you know because she says how many times she's been in that at those funerals, she's been there where they're at. Right. And she's saying, if you don't fight this, we won't get to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You won't be, you won't be here. You won't be the brick. Right. Right. So she's saying, you know, you said fight or die. She's telling them that. Right. Well, we the, saw the this culture will die for sure. Yeah, we, we saw this true. on Aldani, how the, the Empire had the plans to, oh yeah, we've been we've been working to basically not just build up our own power, but to destroy their culture. Right. Right. And yeah, they I mock mean, it by giving them, you know, the one little fur, you know, they're basically mocking them saying, all right, we're good for three years now, right? Leave us alone. So yeah, she's saying fight or our culture gets destroyed. I think it's beautiful in that context then to know how integral the the piece of music was because even, you know, one of the scenes I'm thinking of is Bix in the prison, so to speak, you know, her, her prison cell and she's hearing the music and she's humming along to it, you know, even like in that terrible mental state that she's in and we know her mind's been so twisted and who knows what else that tortured but still you know it's so instinctual this ritual that's part of the life of these people um 
that, you know, living and dying, I mean, what's more natural than that, right? Just like going through that cycle of life. And these people just know this song and they know what to do when the anvil is hit, you know, and they know what to do when everyone comes together on this particular street. And um, it's so comforting and it's so natural for them. And so to realize that, um, that that's interrupted when the officer comes over and throws his coat over, you know, the hollow and tries to, you know, and then finally kicks over B. That's like the, the wake up call. That is everyone realizing what she's saying is absolutely true. That our way of life, what's natural for us, our day to day, everything that's so ingrained in who we are is threatened by this presence. And, um, you know, we've seen that in so many different ways in Star Wars, but to see it in this particular context with all these characters, this huge cast of characters just that we've gotten to know on Ferrix, um, you know, even with um, Silman Pack, you know, having been, um, you know, hung on, hanged on this street and, and Clem having been hanged on this street by the Empire, it's like, We've gotten to see and feel that history. So it was really that much more impactful than finally, I think, um, what the finale does is it takes advantage of all that, you know, that we've learned over all these episodes so that we really get that impact of feeling what those people feel in a way. Well, the other thing that um, we see happen, we see a few things happen. Um, one of the things that happened is that Dedra Miro, uh, almost gets pulled apart by the crowd in the chaos. Yeah. Uh, which was really amazing, uh, visual, visually to, to behold. I mean, <laughs> um, and, and Cyril swoops in and saves her. And, um, I'm wondering, you know, She's told um, during this episode, if she wants to, quote unquote, start a conversation, she needs to find access. Well, now that she knows how truly desperate and she feels it now, she really she's gotten really shaken up by what's going on. In the second season, will she give Cyril a second chance? Maybe he'll be an undercover agent for her. Uh Maybe he will, I don't know if he'll be hired by the Empire somehow formally, but I'm just wondering where this is all going to go. Um, do you guys have any theories about what Dedra was thinking and feeling and what might happen with Cyril going forward? I think you feel, it, watching it to me, you know, in the last two times I was on the podcast, I kept saying, he's going to be flipped. He's going to go to the rebellion. And now I'm like, nope, that ain't happening. Because he seems, because <laughs> he seems completely redeemed. You know, when, when his buddy, they're on that, that transport and his buddy switches hats, it's the, the captain's hat, right? Or the, the leadership hat, right? His buddy gives him that hat back and you know, he's just, he's just got a grin on his face the entire time. You know, when he saves, he's like, I get to save her, you know? And 
uh, she's like, I get, you know, she's like completely shaking. She, you know, you just got that adrenaline pumping through her and she's like, I guess I need to thank you. And he's like, nah, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> he's just got that smirk, that grin. He seems completely redeemed. So I think that they're going to become partners in some sense to some extent. We'll see how far that goes. I don't know. But I was wrong on my last prediction, so we'll see. <laughs> um, well, I, I think she's absolutely going to take him seriously now um, in, in a way. She's been utterly dismissive of him before, and, and she's like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely going to take him seriously. But I don't know how much pull she's going to have, because from like from an Imperial point of view, this is a failed operation. You know, they failed to keep the peace. They failed to capture Andor or Axis. Um, it looks like a loss all around, and um, her superiors seem to value results. Um, and so I I don't know how much, how much more slack they're going to give her. Um, so I am kind of curious to see how her position is going to develop. Um, right. Maybe the, two, maybe the two of them are going to end up being sort of, well, the empire kicked us out on the street, you know, in a sense, and we know what's the right thing to do and we've got to go after these people. So we're going to do it together. Maybe, maybe something like that. Yeah. Cause Cyril's already been there. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past uh, the both of them flipping to the rebellion at the end um you know depending on depending on how hard the empire kicks them to the curb um it's you know stranger things have happened <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> ah yes well um before we get to luthan um who's a very interesting i think in this episode even though he really has minimal lines um on the script um, let's talk about how we have this old ship on a full tank of gas, which I thought was interesting that they re- they emphasized that it was a full tank. Um, so I-, I wondered if that was metaphorical, but, um, kind of saying the rebellion has what it needs. Let's go. Um, but they escape, these people escape. And so it's big brother Brasso. We've got, uh, Bix. And we've got Jez, the sort of other mother figure from the Daughters of Ferrix. And we have Wilman uh, and the reliable old dog, B, B2 Emo. And they're flying to Ganji Moon, um, which I did not look up. So I'm not sure if it's a place we're already familiar with in Star Wars. Um, I'm not sure. So... What ideas do you have about why these particular people are on the ship out? Sure looks a whole lot like the ghost crew, doesn't it? Kind of does. You've got the mom and Jez. You've got, like I said, you know, Brasso, Brasso, the brother. Maybe Bix is like the little sister. Um, Wilman's kind of like the the son, like the prepubescent son. Um and then you've got the droid, the lovable droid, right? So um, it's almost like Cassian's new Cassian's family. Cassian's kind of in the, in the Kanan role yeah, there, maybe? Sort of, maybe, 
Possibly. But yeah, uh, yeah. no, it, it very much felt like this is Cassian's family. These are the, especially Bix, very especially yeah. Bix. Um, you know, and, and like the one, the one goal he's had from the beginning of the series is I want to get my family out. I want to, I got to get out of here. Get him I want to take, yeah, I want to take my family with me and get him someplace safe. And it feels like, okay, he's done that. And then he doesn't go with them. And that's that's <laughs> a really interesting choice. Well, um, is is that because he he knows that he knows Luthen has a, a mark on his head? Mm. You know, he he knows that if he just goes, he's gonna keep running. You know, so I'm sure I know we're gonna talk about that in a minute, but he knows he's got a mark on his head and he doesn't want to put them in danger of that. Whereas he did before, you know, he just, everybody came to Ferrix looking for Andor and he split and everybody was still, that's when the empire came in and he's like, I can't do that to the, to them again. So he doesn't, he sends them off to safety and he goes and faces it. Yeah. Because, because he is finally realizing, okay, my actions have had, much bigger consequences than I expected. And I can't just run away from them. Right. Right. Very good point. Very good point. And that's, that that was one of my questions was, you know, okay. Cassian said he was going to find his family, his new family. He was going to find them and he was going to be with them at some point. Um, That's what he promises them as he's leaving. But then he goes straight to Luth and he's like, well, you can kill me. <laughs> it's like, uh, doesn't that totally negate what you just told those people on the ship? Um, but I think you're, you're, you basically have put the, your finger on, on his motivation there, which is, um, I think he, he's facing the consequences, right. Of, of what he's, he's done. And, and really he, escaped death so many times if you think about so many times this series <laughs> um that he he goes and he faces he looks death in the face potentially um with Luthen and I think I personally think he was I mean obviously he's he's used to taking risks um but I think by this point he perhaps has his mother's words and his father's lessons and everything, all this encouragement and motivation. He's got Nimic's manifesto in, in his mind now. And he's looking at Luthen and he's like, dude, you couldn't catch me. You tried to catch me before. So now that you know how good I am, <laughs> take me in or kill me. And he's almost like, I know that he's not going to kill me. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of how I'm interpreting it. it. No, I'm, I'm seeing it in, in light of that, that earlier flashback with his father and the, you know, the, the rusty parts that, that, um, you know, everyone wants you to throw away, but, but we can clean them up. And, and, Andor has uh, like one of the consistent things throughout the series has been, he has this kind of, 
sorrow for, you know, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for how I've hurt people. I know, I know it's been bad and he's been trying to get away and get past that. He's tr been trying to make up for his debts, pay off his debts, things like that. And now he's, I, I think this is kind of him asking, you know, am I worth cleaning up or, or should I just be thrown away? Mm. And, and it feels like, at least from from Diego Luna's face in in that last scene, I really felt like it was a genuine question. Um, you know, kill me or take me in. I'm kind of completely done, and 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 I've got nothing left. Um, and and the first time I watched it, it, it was. It was actually confusing. It, it took it caught me completely off guard, um, and so so this is you know I've been I've been working at it's like how do I understand this and and I think this is this is where I've come to is I think he might be just like horribly contrite and to the point of of depression and and maybe even suicidal tendencies. Um, and I mean I don't want to make light of you know. I've struggled with, with chronic depression myself and I know many people out there do and, and with suicidal ideations, but, but, uh, you know, I kind of see this as, you know, maybe this is a, uh, you know, this is where he's come to in, mm. in his journey. Do you think Luthen realizes that and sees him and sort of, I think he, he comes to Ferrix for one thing, which is to kill him. And then he, I think after seeing everything transpire, he leaves surprised in a way. Not entirely surprised, but I think he's surprised in a way. And it things don't go as planned. And not that he's not used to that. But in at the same time, he, he kind of is this person that, that strategizes 24 <laughs> seven. And, um, I just wonder what's going through his, his mind, Luthen's mind uh, at the end of this episode, after having seen everything that happened on Ferrix, what do you think? Well, I think his smile says a lot. He's like, okay, now, now he's ready. That that's what I, that's what I saw from that, that now he's ready to, to go fight. He's not going to, turn me in he i think luthan at first he's looking out for number one right but uh but then he's like okay this guy's ready he's on our side because because luthan heard the speech luthan knows that's his mom you know so luthan kind of knows where cassian's head's at now and he's like okay now he's ready yeah, he came he came looking for something special you know he didn't care about the incredibly rare and important piece of imperial tech that right. Cassian was trying to sell in, in the first three episodes. That's all it was about before was give me my 40,000 credits so I can move on. Yeah. 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 And now he sees someone who is, uh, you know, what, what was the, the scene that kept coming up in, in almost every previously on, you know, for the first, <laughs> you know, two thirds of it, you know, don't you want to give it all for something that really matters? And yeah. here's someone who is finally, able to do that um and and, and i think I, 
I think he's and, willing to. Yeah, yeah. And Luthen, because I, I think I think Luthen is absolutely a villain here. Um, Luthen <laughs> is like good, a tool I can use. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I he's Luthen is such an interesting character that is has so many layers, um, and it's been a delight and scary in some ways, but also a delight to just discover more about this character. Um, I would love to hear all of our listeners takes on Luthen and all these other um, awesome characters that, that we've met um, that, you know, whether you like the show or not, I think everyone can at least um, agree that there's a lot of really thoughtful writing, you know, whether or not you agree with the, the directions that the stories and the characters went, you can tell that, that, that these characters were crafted um, and there was a lot of attention that went into this show. Um, and it's, it's been really fun to kind of dive into those layers and um, I'm sure we'll continue to reflect and discuss that on the show as we discover more Star Wars stories. Um, do you guys have any closing thoughts? I know it feels like we just scratched the surface, but do you have anything else that you really wanted to share today? I, I do. Um, one thing I noticed when uh, Luthen is going back to his ship, he's on that speeder bike and it looked very, very, very similar to Anakin going to fight the, uh, the sand people and Darth Maul going to find uh, Obi-Wan and uh, Qui-Gon and Count Dooku heading back toward his ship to escape the Geonosis um, fight. So it looked very similar to all of those. Now, do I think that he's fully dark side Sith I don't think so because in his speech he says I've given I'm having to use the tools of my enemy. So if he is Jedi, then he's having to use the dark side, but he doesn't want to. But he's doing it because he knows that that's how to defeat the you know Vader, Palpatine. Whether he knows that they're in control or not, I'm not sure, but. It seems very similar to me. It seems like he's, I think we're pointing in that direction. Okay. Okay. Um, a very, very, I would say that's a daring assertion. <laughs> that is really, that's we'll see next a year. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, well, I, I wonder if our listeners are taking tallies on like all of our theories. Okay. Jason's <laughs> theories. One, one, you know, like, <laughs> um, I'm so, for one so far. <laughs> well, I, I am fully in the, uh, Luthen is a fallen Jedi camp as well. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know if I have any real final thoughts. I just, I just want to say, man, I, I, I love this show in so many ways. And at the same time, I just, there are so many things that I wish the show did in, I don't know, maybe, maybe what I'm looking for is a more accessible way or a more 
or or maybe it is I'm just asking a different question than than Tony Gilroy and the and the other uh, writers um, are doing. But yeah, it's I I'm really looking forward to season two, and I'm not pleased that it's going to be so long until it drops. <laughs> Well, let's hear from everybody listening out there. Please email us your thoughts about Andor. Um, and you can do so at Star Wars at sqpn.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Uh, you can leave a comment there on one of our posts about the show. You can also tweet us at sqpn. Um, and please do just share the podcast on social media so that our, our family here, our found family can continue to grow. Um, some of those really cool family members that make this podcast possible are our patrons. And so we want to thank some of them, um, in particular, Carl W., Brian W., uh, Michael M., Christopher K., and Ira R., and if you'd like to uh, join our StarQuest family, you certainly can. Um, one of those ways is by giving and becoming a patron. You can do so at sqpn.com slash give. You can also just tell people about the, the show. You can rate us, review us, uh, help people to know that Secrets of Star Wars is out there. And we thank you so much for doing that. Next week, we will be back to take a deeper look at tales of the jedi that awesome new animated series that'll be very exciting so until next time we see you robert king thank you so much for joining us and sharing the secrets of star wars oh thanks for having me and jason yuji a pleasure to have you on the show as well thanks i enjoyed it and once again i'm angela cialana thank you for listening to the secrets of star wars on star quest Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Let's Science. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science.